Well, the talk is, what is life for? This is a quotation from a Suji master. The biggest thing in the world, bigger than the ocean and the sky, is your heart. The Buddha taught four Brahma-viharas, loving-kindness or metta, which we're concentrating on now. Toward the end of the retreat, we'll learn compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity. So these are a whole um, package. It's not just one Brahma-vihara, there's four. And Brahma means pure, and vihara means home or abode. And so the Brahma-vihara words mean that we're learning to dwell in this bigger heart, the biggest thing in the world, bigger than the ocean, and the sky is our heart. And so we're learning to expand beyond this self-centered desire that we tend to uh, almost be trapped in a lot of our life to this bigger heart. So loving-kindness is boundless kindliness or unconditional love. Boundless, it can feel like that's infinite or without constraint. But what does this boundlessness mean or what is this bigness? And it means that we're no longer caught in a, a, a small heart, this heart that we think is just a small thing inside of us and that this misperception causes us to feel separate and this feeling of separation causes us to suffer so much. So the loving-kindness practice and the other Brahma-viharas are a way uh, through understanding uh, to move out of this sense of alienation or our small separate heart. As we start a loving-kindness retreat, we start with ourselves, we start with a benefactor. And so we already begin to see that there's this possibility of being a mother cow or being the calf, like I was talking about last night. We learn that we can be benefactors for ourselves, for others, and that we can receive kindness we can be grateful. The Buddha taught that there's two types of rare and precious types of human beings in this world. One who shows kindness, which is this benefactor category. And this is someone who easily touches our heart and we feel like that sense of separation has broken down. And the other type of rare and precious human being in this world is one who is grateful, one who has truly received and recognized that they've received this kindness. We're born into this world, this human world of joy and sorrow. And the Buddha taught that this is a very, very precious place, this human world, to practice to do spiritual practice because it's such a mixture of joy and sorrow. The, the sorrow hopefully motivates us to understand on deeper and deeper levels. One who is able to show kindness and one who is able to be grateful is really someone who's come to a deep understanding of how to work with the joys and sorrows in this world. So I'd like to share a story from the Jataka tales called The Hungry Tigress. And the stories, um, these stories are birth stories where the, before the Buddha was a Buddha, he was born as a bodhisattva each lifetime, perfecting certain virtues. So in this story, the bodhisattva to be Buddha was born as a noble princess in the land that now we call Nepal. And she grew up um, in this beautiful area where there was this great, great forest and a place where she could roam to her heart's heart's content in the 
among the trees and the fields and the lakes. And when she was grown up, she was walking in the same area that she roamed as a child with her two sisters. And they were going along, and this was a time of great drought. And when they looked up at the trees, there were just a very few leaves on the trees, and they were brown and brittle. Uh, and the ground was just crackling. It was so dry. And this, this drought had been, had been going on for a very long time. And then they're walking along, if you can just picture this experience in this drought, in this place she knew from her childhood, a tigress appeared, a hungry tigress, and she had two cubs. And the sisters were just terrified, and they, they went to run. But the princess saw something different. She saw the starvation in the tigress's eyes, and she saw the starving cubs, and she really empathized, was so touched by their suffering. And she even had this thought that perhaps the tigress would eat her cubs just out of desperation for such a um, long period of suffering. Um, so she was moved to <clears throat> such compassion by the struggle in their lives. She had this thought, <clears throat> what, after all, is life for? So she very calmly removed some of her clothes, and she took up a rock, a sharp rock, and cut her arm so that the blood was trickling down. And her sisters freaked out. You know, they were just <laughs> completely terrified and ran away. Uh, and then the tigress ate her body and chewed the bones, and the cubs and the tigress lived through the drought <clears throat> and continued to live. So it was said that for many years this forest was filled with a golden light uh, right at the spot where this happened. And then later, centuries later, a king made a pillar there so that pilgrims could offer flowers, and flowers are still offered at this place in Nepal to this day. It's said that acts of compassion live forever. I think sometimes when we experience the aches and pains of a first day of a retreat, we forget the power of one genuine moment of loving-kindness, that that lives forever. It's so powerful. Even as a mother, at the risk of her life, watches over and protects her only child, this is the experience of loving-kindness or compassion. It's so non-separate. And this is the relationship that the Buddha taught that we could cultivate with ourselves, that we can cultivate with all other beings. So the, per the important question to ask in this, in this story, which is a teaching, is what did the sister see? Here was the same experience, but what did the sister see? And then what did she see? And what was the difference in response? The human world and our precious birth is filled with joy and sorrow. And when we're up against the sorrow, can we ask, oh, what is life for anyway? And that being able to ask that question tends to lead us out of the aversion to suffering or the fear of suffering to a deeper compassion or connectedness, and then a response that's pure. A Brahma Vihara. Of course, we all know that in this human world, there are levels of our capacity for that kind of generosity or kindness. <clears throat> Last fall, I was on the phone with my, one of my nieces. My sister started having children when she was 15. And it was really a hard time. She had three children, and I found it easier in many ways to take care of, of them than she did. So recently, I was talking with my niece, who has just had a baby, um, and I had no idea 
that she ever knew what was going on or how difficult it was. And no, we never talked about it. And there have been some years that have passed that I've hung out with them a lot. And out of the blue, I think it might have been from having her own child, she said, thank you. You know, she thanked me for what I had done. And it was such a shock. <laughs> you know, it was such a surprise that she said it. Um, but I was able in that moment to recognize the purity of her gratefulness and then to experience the purity of, of the love that I felt for her. It was like there was never any question in my mind that I would have done that. And you know those experiences in life when the unconditional love is really there. And it just, it's like I cried for some, like about an hour afterwards. It just felt like this completion. And the water of the tears felt like uh, washing that big heart. It was really special. But of course, you know, that's not every moment. You know, we might come across uh, a hungry tigress and her cubs in one form, of another, one form or another in our life. And we might run. We might be the sisters rather than the princess. There's a small book that most people would probably keep in their bathroom, you know, where you can just read a page or two and move on. Uh, <laughs> and it, I read this book in someone's bathroom. Uh, and it was sayings that her children had uh, said, and she had written them down over the years. And this, to me, uh, really embodies this, these levels of generosity that we're capable of. And if you know what animal crackers are, it helps to know. Most of us have had the experience of eating animal crackers. So this girl said, it's not really giving if you give away the animal crackers with missing heads and feet. <laughs> but you know that feeling when you don't want to give away the whole cracker. <laughs> And so there's that range that we can experience. And to be able to feel metta or compassion for ourselves wherever we are, you know, that that's okay as well. This year I was teaching a retreat in Honolulu. And about once in a 10-day retreat, I usually manage to get up in the back of this place where there's a beautiful trail up along a, a, a river that goes up into the back of the valley. And it was quite rainy that day, and I was the only person on the trail that would, had headed up the trail. So I started down, uh, and 10 people who didn't seem to be that sensitive <laughs> to the environment kind of came plodding by me. And then I just came across all this litter, you know, just <laughs> an amazing amount of litter for that amount of people. Uh, and I very, um, with so much irritation and aversion, I picked it up. You know, but there wasn't a very happy heart. It wasn't a big heart. It was like the whole time I was cutting them into shreds. You know, like, <laughs> you know, how could they do that? And, you know, just. But I picked it up. There have been times where I probably have gone by and I didn't pick it up. You know, so there's these levels. And that day was so interesting because. Uh, after tea that day at the retreat, I walked down the road the other way, which was ve it's very uh, developed and urban. And in the morning, actually, really early in the morning, I had driven up the road, uh, past this place, and the garbage can had been knocked over, and the garbage was all over the place. And this was like maybe quarter to six, and no one had picked up the garbage. And many people had gone by. And I was in a very different place than I was up on the trail where I felt pretty stingy <laughs> about picking it up. And there was a whole sense of a big, that big heart where there was no me, no separate me, nobody who else who owned the garbage can. And I just it was very effortless, smooth, picked up the garbage, walked on, not a trace. Now that's a range that can happen for us. And can we hold our hearts with that range? with everyone when we see somebody else walk by the litter or we get the
cracker without the heads and feet. <laughs> That's the real test. <clears throat> There's someone in Honolulu that over the years has kind of had a steady, quiet, almost invisible generosity in holding the Sangha together. And one day I went shopping with her before a retreat and she saw these dish towels in this uh, store. And I remember just this joy that she had at, at touching them, picking them up and showing me them and saying, oh, don't you think the yogis will love these dish towels? You know, and it was such a beautiful moment where I could feel that sense of just total connection and generosity. Uh, we don't have a dishwasher <laughs> like uh, here. It's quite, uh, everybody washes their dishes, everybody dries them, and we go through a lot of dish towels, and you really notice them. Simple, but so um, that feeling of being held up. If you have a sense that you've been doing this practice even for a while and have a sense that it happens slowly, I think that that's okay. And I think as a teacher it's easier to see that things actually do change. Uh, that I wanted to share something just that happened in the last Metta retreat. Steve and I just taught a Metta retreat before coming here. This woman who was really not protected as a child. I mean, just had a very difficult um, childhood, worse than most. Um, and it was hard for her to do the phrase, may I be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. But in fact, it was the only one she could do. And it was a real jump for her to be doing that. And for years, literally years, many, many years, that's the only phrase she could do. Uh, and we've talked about it, you know, in interviews where I'm like, you know, she'd be saying, you know, don't you think I should be able to do another phrase by now? And I'm like, no, you, do you connect with that one? It sounds great, you know, you're going along. Uh, and about the last day of a 10-day retreat, she was sitting there, and suddenly the thought came, may I be happy and peaceful of heart. She didn't try no pushing, and she said she almost fell off the chair. You know, it was just, she'd never felt that for herself. And I was, it was just such an incredible moment because that retreat, she expressed the impatience again. And, but I just trust this process so much, knowing how much it took for me to break the barrier with myself. I really feel like if I can do it, anybody can. You know, it's just a matter of putting in the time. It often <laughs> just isn't happening quite in the timetable we might have. If we start to get a sense of how important the benefactor category or dear friend category is, um, it's really any being that it's easy for us to feel this connection. It's easy for us to shift out of feeling separate to this bigger heart. And that spiritual friend is like a lifeline for us. It's the only thing that gives meaning in life. It's really the only thing that brings water or juice. It's really everything uh, to be able to find someone or some being, even if it's a stone. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if it's an inanimate object. It's just something to connect with. And then you feel that, ah, you don't feel that sense of separation. A friend of mine um, in Honolulu is very good friends with the Jesuit priest Daniel Berrigan. And most of you probably know of him, but he spent many years in jail in our country as a political prisoner. <clears throat> and he wrote a book with the Vietnamese monk Thich Nhat Hanh and spent a lot of time with him. And he told me something about Thich Nhat Hanh that really surprised me. Um, 
I had been raised in the Catholic tradition for a while, and I had some difficult experiences with some priests. So spending time with Daniel Berrigan, who was such an embodiment of what I thought um, the Buddha or Christ meant for us uh, to try to be like, it was so healing for me. You know, it was such a huge change for me. Even if that's all that happened, it would have been great. But he told me that um, when he worked in this book with Thich Nhat Hanh, that Thich Nhat Hanh said that he had meditated on Christ for 40 years. You know, and it was just like, oh, you know, you, know, you can sort of think of somebody meditating for maybe an hour. You know, or a Buddhist might, you know, think about Christ for even five days, you know, but just this 40 years is a long time, you know, <laughs> that's quite a reflection. Uh, and it just felt like such a great place, again, of cutting down that division between Buddha or Christ or Kuan Yin or Mary or whatever it is. It's like, oh, isn't that wonderful, that lack of separation? Of course, that would be a benefactor for him. You know, if it's not a benefactor for you, that's fine. It's really finding what is a benefactor for us and just recognizing it and valuing it and not feeling like we have to connect with everything. <coughs> this is quite a long quotation from a book called The Education of Little Tree by Forrest Carter. And it's really about um, a little boy having an incredible benefactor. Grandma said everybody has two minds. One of the minds has to do with the necessaries for body living. You had to use it to figure how to get shelter and eating and such like for the body. She said you had to use it to mate and have young'uns and such. She said we had to have that mind so as we could carry on. But she said we had another mind that had nothing at all to do with such. She said it was the spirit mind. Grandma said if you use the body living mind to think greedy or mean, if you was always cutting at folks with it and figuring how to material profit off in them, then you would shrink up your spirit mind to a size no bigger than a hickory nut. Grandma said that when your body died, the body living mind died with it. And if that's the way you had thought all your life, there you was, stuck with a hickory nut spirit. <laughs> As the spirit mind was all that lived when anything else died. Then Grandma said when you was born back, as you was bound to be, there you was, stuck with a born with a hickory nut spirit mind that had practical no understanding of anything. Then it might shrink up to the size of a pea and could disappear if your body-living mind took over total. In such case, you lost your spirit complete. That's how you become dead people. Grandma said you could easily spot dead people. She said dead people, when they looked at a woman, saw nothing but dirty. When they looked at other people, they saw nothing but bad. When they looked at a tree, they saw nothing but lumber and profit, never beauty. Grandma said that they was dead people walking around. Grandma said that the spirit mind was like any other muscle. If you used it, it got bigger and stronger. She said the only way it could get that way was using it to understand. But you couldn't open the door to it until you quit being greedy and such with your body mind. Then understanding commenced to take up. And the more you tried to understand, the bigger it got. Natural, she said, understanding and love was the same thing, except folks went at it backwards too many times, trying to pretend they loved things when they didn't understand them, which can't be done. I see right out that I was going to commence trying to understand practical everybody, for I sure didn't want to come up with a hickory nut spirit. <laughs> a benefactor, you know, see the lifeline in that if we get to have that kind of teaching when we're young 
or any time in our life. <coughs> One aspect of being born in the human world is that we are born into a world of joy and sorrow. No matter how protected we might be, it's like it's just a range. There's this range that's so hard for us to learn how to cope with and accept. For me, nature has always been a place for me to um, find peace and stillness, but there's also a lot of difficulty in that world. The other day, when I first got here, I was um, I borrowed someone's bicycle and I was biking up the dirt road by the study center. And I was kind of just going along, just seeing if I could go on the bike. <laughs> I hadn't been on a bike for a while. Uh, and I saw something that I've never seen before. The snake was moving at a velocity that I've never seen. It was hunting a frog. And you know how these things happen. It's just like uh, so sudden, but so fast. The snake was just going after this frog, and the frog was just jumping <laughs> as high as it could, and then came down and jumped as high as it could. And it was just that moment where the snake saw me that it lost that concentration for just a moment that it missed. You know, it was just like, and the snake hid in the old uh, winter leaves and, and made it. Uh, and my heart was just pumping for hours. All I could think about was that it's just that incredible struggle that we all have to survive on this planet. You know, we rarely get to see something like that. I've seen snakes, you know, kind of sleeping through a big meal. <laughs> but to see them moving that fast, uh, it's fast. You know, <laughs> our life can change from a pretty good moment, like a frog just jumping along, you know, to being chased. It's that predator-prey thing. And, you know, where do we identify? Do, I, do we identify with the predator? Do we identify with the prey? Can our heart hold the whole thing? Depending on our conditioning will usually depend who we identify with. And usually we have a struggle to stretch to hold the whole show. In the Vipassana practice, mindfulness is a tool to help us to learn how to open and have balance with the joy and sorrow in this world. Loving kindness and the other Brahma Viharas are another tool to help us learn how to have balance in this world. So loving kindness usually helps us to relax into the truth of things. It helps us to re feel reassured enough, the truth of interconnectedness, enough to then deepen our understanding of how life is. One of the aspects of this loving-kindness practice that's so important to understand is this relationship between one who is kind, the benefactor, and one who is grateful. Because gratitude is a huge part of this practice. And it's not meant that one forces it, but that one recognizes it. And the gratitude is a help that actually helps us get through a day. It helps us to face difficulty. The last retreat that I taught in Australia in early April this year, the place that um, was rented, I was allergic to everything. I was allergic to the meditation hall. I was allergic to the place that uh, I was supposed to be living in and sleeping. And this is sort of typical for me, but it had, hadn't been that strong <laughs> for a while. So um, I wrote my talks in a car by flashlight at night, and I slept in a yogi's van the first night. I slept in a car the second night, and the third night they got me a tent. And I was so happy. I was so looking forward to this night in the tent, and a hurricane came. <laughs> you know? And I was determined to spend the night in this tent. Um, and so the tent was going... <laughs> and I was so happy. Like, I was so grateful I could breathe. You know? And I felt so close to the storm. It's like, um, I'd never felt that non-separate from that energy of the storm. 
and so happy to be in it because I could breathe. You know, and there's this, I feel so lucky in some ways. Sometimes, I mean, I, <laughs> the manager was so worried. She kept coming out and staking down the tent. <laughs> and I was feeling grateful for her, too. <laughs> you know, but I was just so happy for that whole experience. I know that allergies can be a hassle, but they often lead me to these situations. And I think if you can look at your life and see what you struggle with, it can often be a doorway to these experiences where we, where we open on a deeper level. At the least, I had to depend on a lot of people's kindness. You know, they had to lift up the rug where, where I was sitting. You know, it was like there was so much um, interaction with people and I had to let go of control and receive their kindness. One of the truths we learn in the Vipassana practice is that anything can happen. You know, it's really facing life as it is. We really never know what's going to happen. Uh, And the kind of anxiety or insecurity that comes from that truth can be hard to face. The loving kindness is an incredible tool to call in when we can't face life as it is. May I be happy, you know, may I, it's like bringing in this warmth and care so that we can at some point face life as it is. Sometimes um, on a retreat, we might choose to spend the whole retreat with ourselves or the whole retreat with our benefactor. Um, You'll hear as we go along that we move on um, to a friend, dear friend, friend, neutral, difficult. Uh, And there are difficult human beings uh, that teach us a lot about separation and interconnectedness. There are difficult other beings. I mean, if you had to deal with some black flies today, that's an example. It's like there's the wonderful birds uh, that we tend to like, and it's hard not to feel connected to a chipmunk. You know, they're so cute. Can you imagine being on this earth without these other beings? But we still tend to pick and choose, you know. We'll, We'll settle for a chickadee, but maybe not for a blue jay. This year I had a a real (laughs) opening around that with chickadees and blue jays. I'd been reading a a book on Thoreau's writings, and he described the sound of a chickadee as a lisping tinkle. And just seeing lisping tinkle, I thought, well, I've never heard a chickadee lisp. And <laughs> I was so intrigued, I went out and started listening. And if you listen really closely, they do lisp. <laughs> uh, and I realized that at that time that I had just written off blue jays. I grew up in Massachusetts, and I th- started thinking about how, well, what, where did that happen? How did I cut off this whole species of birds, you know, and I started to think back at this time when, before my family disintegrated when I was about five, um, this blue jay uh, mother had built a nest in our backyard, and we used to, the whole family used to get together and watch um, the parents uh, feeding the birds, and it was a great experience. So I thought, well, that wouldn't have cut me off from blue jays. Um, And then I remembered that some teacher had said, that blue jays are really bad because they steal um, robin's eggs and they kill them. Uh, That's where it had happened. There was this idea that blue jays were really bad. And if you look at how people feed uh, birds in New England, they often don't want blue jays at the feeder. Uh, So this winter I did a retreat, uh, well this fall, last fall, a three-week retreat down at the study center. 
And I started seeing that the bird feeders all around at other people's places didn't have room for blue jays. They're designed so that blue jays can't come into them. So I started putting out um, bread on the back little porch there for the blue jays. And I just started sending them metta. And after a while, they started coming down and eating the bread. And so then uh, I started having these experiences where I'd be sitting in my room and I'd forget to put the bread out. And they started to talk to me. You know, they'd, they'd, they'd go, Michelle, you forgot to feed us today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I would put the bread out and they had a whole different call for thank you. And they really did. It was amazing to me, once I started to tune into that world, what a change that happened in my heart. And when somebody, when I left here, I kept begging the people that moved in to feed the Blue Jays, and I think they thought I was crazy. You know, it's like, please feed the Blue Jays. Um, but most people don't have that connection if they're raised here. You know, so it's just to look, you know, look at where you write people off, whole people off, or look in where you write off any being. Metta is the doorway through that barrier. Most of us know of the difficulty with human rights in China and there's a man named Wei Jing Sheng, who recently wrote a book called The Courage to Stand Alone. And he's still in prison since 1978, <coughs> 1978 in China. And all he did was put up a poster that said that he thought uh, that democracy would be good for China. Uh, and he wrote a letter to the last um, leader of China uh, before he died, following the bloodletting in Tiananmen Square. And he said to this person who uh, was responsible for so much bloodletting, we know each other well, probably better than anyone can imagine. It's just that we have an intimate disgust that probably also exceeds anyone's imagination. The forest is so vast that it contains every variety of bird, even a pair like us, the eighth great wonder of the world. If you can imagine being in prison and to be able to write something like that, you know, to be able to hold that there's that incredible distance <coughs> And yet, there's these two birds that are birds in the forest together. You know, there's such a beauty in that, to be able to hold both. He's not saying at all that he agrees that this is happening. Of course, not at all. He's really standing up with it, to it without that fear. There are many kinds of benefactors, and it's important for you to know that if you can't find a human being, that you can use any being that touches your heart. For me as a child, the wildflowers in New England were my first friends. And if push comes to shove, <laughs> I can go to a wildflower and feel that connection. No matter how bad it is, I've my, like when I come here in the spring, there's a state flower called uh, Trailing Arbutus that most people don't know. But it's this plant that lives very close to the ground and you have to either kneel, it's almost like you're praying or bowing, or lay flat. You have to get so humble to even get to see it and smell it. It's so small. And ha it has a scent that it's like it made it through the winter. And it's so delicate, it's just embodies spring. And for me, like if I can get to smell that, it lasts me through the year. You know, there's a strength uh, and a power in it. 
Now for me, of course, that's a benefactor. For you it might not be a wildflower, but it's to get to know where that connection is, what it is. And if it's an inanimate object, if it's a teddy bear, great. If it's a stone, great. It doesn't have to be human. If it is human, I think you should feel really lucky. You know, it's like it's an incredible gift to have a human being that we can practice with like this. It's, a, it's an incredible thing in this human world to have that. So there are these elders that have lived on this planet longer than us, and we can relate to him, them that way, whether it's a bird or a snake you know, or a rock, or whatever. They've been here longer than us. They are elders. There's also a range of spiritual friends in the human world that we might forget to think about. So it doesn't have to be somebody like the Dalai Lama, necessarily, although we might choose to have him as a benefactor. Uh, But it can be somebody that was a friend like a neighbor when you were a child growing up, somebody that showed you kindness. There can be that range again in our hearts of knowing it can be somebody who has touched our life um, in a more simple way maybe than somebody like the Dalai Lama. But it's the touching of the heart that matters, not who it is. And you can get in touch with why is it that this person or being touches my heart. When we start doing different people, you'll hear us say, at the beginning of getting the the feeling essence of the person, tune into the person's beautiful qualities, or tune into the being's positive qualities. And the reason for that is so that you can tune into what it is about the being that touches your heart. Maybe they're a good cook and they're just really generous with that and it's their way of feeling not separate and touching you. Maybe they're really wise, maybe they're really funny. You know, there's so many reasons why we might have an ease with some being. But you're meant to reflect on that, so you start to tune into what it is about them that makes it easy. And then when you get to difficult people, you can kind of figure out why this man has written a letter like that. Um, you know, it's like it's much harder to tune into. They're really different birds. Usually when you get in touch with the difficult category, you start to see that there's a real difference in us with them. And that's why it's so hard. It's harder to find what we tune into. I usually say something like, try to find one positive quality. You know, so that uh, that is where we make the connection. It's important to be able to deepen our understanding of our relationship of joy to gratitude. And as I said before, gratitude is a kind of practice. One who is grateful is a very deep spiritual emotion. And in a moment of gratefulness, there is no barrier between ourselves and another, or ourselves and the world. And if we can recognize our joyful moments in the face of the suffering in this world, we can feel held up by the sound of a wood thrush or we can feel held up being with a single breath, or if somebody just gives us a hug, (coughs) or a loving look. You know, these are moments uh, that we feel held up, and they're so important. We can feel held up even by an ordinary moment at home. Last year, I saw the Academy Awards, and there was a woman who was asked to come. Um, She had been involved with a documentary that won um, an Academy Award, but of course we don't tend to get those at the movies. (laughs) We just hear that they win. 
uh, but it was a documentary about the Holocaust. And she um, said, when she won, that I've been in a place for six incredible years where winning meant a crust of bread and to live another day. Since the blessed day of my liberation, I have asked the question, why am I here? I am no better. In my mind's eye, I see those days and years, those who never live to see, the magic of a boring evening at home. In my mind's eye, I see those days and years and those who never live to see the magic of a boring evening at home. On their behalf, I wish to thank you for honoring their memory, and you cannot do it any better, in any better way than when you return to your homes tonight to realize that each of you who know, who know the joy of freedom are winners. It's important to be able to tune into this, especially when we're on a retreat, you know, because there are many boring moments. You know, it's a long day. There's long sittings. There's long walkings. And we forget sometimes that it's really a precious gift, even though it's hard to be able to do this. And to, to think of that, that there's a magic in ordinariness. There's a gift in that. There's a gift to be able to be bored. You know, we, for, we forget that. <laughs> and it's okay that you forget it sometimes, but it's nice to be reminded that it's possible, again, for our hearts to open to a bigger place. Ultimately, you know, when we ask the question, what, after all, is life for? Um, we're asking something very deep in terms of understanding the preciousness of, of the gift of life itself. You know, why am I here? Why did I take birth? And this question can lead us to a gratefulness for each day. Uh, it can be part of our practice. There's a way in which human beings, we tend to get arrogant and we take life for granted. Uh, and this is totally opposite than this rare and beautiful type of person who is grateful. So to be able to hold that we really never know when we're going to die, we really never know what's going to happen. Uh, and if we can open to that suffering, but then take it, the awareness of that, as a blessing to shift, to be able to be grateful for each moment, uh, it's incredible, that shift. We start to realize what is life for. And we'll go through, we're meant to uncover on this retreat our arrogance. We're meant to uncover our self-centered desire. We're meant to discover anywhere where the heart is closed or narrow, afraid, hateful, aversive, jealous. You know, we get to really see more clearly where it's small because otherwise it can't open. We have to find where it's closed at times for it to be able to we go through those experiences to a bigger place. So if the present moment feels boring or unsatisfactory or not good enough, we learn in the metta practice to be able to hold that with love, with unconditional love. And we start to, even if we only have a few moments of loving-kindness in a day, we start to be able to appreciate that, just like in a moment, in a, a retreat of Vipassana, we start to be able to appreciate the moments when we're mindful, rather than hate all the moments when we're not. The same in metta. You know, you start to appreciate any moment where you tune into it, and not judge the moments when you're not. Ultimately, gratefulness is a completion of the experience of loving-kindness, or a completion of the experience of understanding. 
So the experience of gratitude is a sign of a maturing in our practice. Insight, insight into loving kindness, insight into the experience of not identifying with our experience. Um, the freedom that comes from both practices of the Brahma Viharas, of mindfulness, is precious. And if you ask yourself, like the princess and the hungry tigress, you know, what, after all, is my life for? As we ponder that question, hopefully we start to see that there's a deep commitment in ourselves to being awake. There's a deep commitment to this bigger heart and the boundless heart where understanding and loving-kindness grow. And hopefully we won't come up with a hickory nut spirit. (laughs) Let's sit for a minute. What, after all, is life for? Two types of rare and precious types of human beings in this world. One who shows kindness and one who is grateful for that kindness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.